Well, thank you. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How's How are you? Good. I'm fine. You know, I'm hanging yeah. in there. Good. Good. Um, for all those who listen who aren't Josie, um, you may <laughs> not know that I was in the ER this week. If you do know, it's oh. kind of weird. Yeah, uh, a little because I didn't say anything about it on social media. I guess, but <laughs> um, yeah, I. Well, I mean, it would have been a week ago from when this episode's coming out. Um, I apparently had a gallbladder attack, and zero out of ten would not recommend. Yeah, to a friend. Um, Crazy gallbladders just like running down the street attacking people. Oh, what the fuck, man? It's weird. They have knives. Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Not for real, though. It does feel like you're getting stabbed repeatedly. And Gross. it's just really, like, the most pain I've ever been in in my entire life. Um, thank you to Josie for driving me to the uh, emergency room. Uh, I feel like Josie's gotten a lot of shout-outs lately, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Josie's a loyal listener so we're here for such a good friend honestly yes Um, so yeah we were it was kind of a bummer we were supposed to like meet up that day to recap like her wedding and my trip to portland and then uh i walked up to her at work and i was like hey josie i think we may need to reschedule in fact i think i need to go to the er and she's like do you need a ride (laughs) yes yes i do Thanks. Um, so, yeah. What a pal. What a pal. How's your week been? Um, not as eventful. Yeah. Shout out to you, by the way, for coming to get me from the ER. It was uh, no problem. Because uh, I was in no condition to function <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh, man. The cocktail of drugs running through my system by the time you came and got me was insane. Yeah. You were uh, on another level. Was I? I don't really remember. I mean, it wasn't like that, but I could tell that you were like, ooh. <laughs> yep. You're like, my brain is doing none of the thinking for me. <laughs> no, I think, honestly, I think shit was just coming out of my mouth at that point. It kind of was. I just let you talk. I was just like, thank just, you. Just do it. Okay, great. I don't remember what I said, so nothing crazy okay good yeah okay great it was fine you just you just needed to talk i think i was like okay (laughs) good i love this for me yeah Mm. it's all good great um yeah should we i mean hello i'm caitlin oh yeah hi i'm mari this is alcohol and anecdotes thank you for remembering today i did my best we didn't get too terribly far in. So. No. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to take a shot. Oh, yeah. I don't know how anything works anymore. No, clearly. it's fine. I just... Okay. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. Nope. <sighs> that was not great. Mm. <clears throat> Gross. Um, I don't know. Uh, my, what did I do this week? I, I did finally 
had been super stressing about talking to my boss about something that's been bothering me for a while and finally did. And the conversation went really well, which is to be expected. But since I put it off for so long, my body was like literally eating itself from the inside out. Oh, I hate that. So <laughs> I'm feeling so relieved. I, I like bet. crawled out of the deep, dark depression hole that I was in earlier this Ugh. week. And I'm feeling like on top of my game now. <laughs> so I love that. If anything's stressing you out, just talk to someone about it. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. Just Man. like fix the fix it it will work (laughs) listen i get executive dysfunction i deal with it big time but sometimes if you just work up the gumption to do the damn thing yeah it can really relieve some shit yeah so i'm feeling really good i love that for you thank you so glad you're not eating yourself from the inside out now yes it's great um yeah so i'm good cleaned my house donated some stuff today i love that for you purging things from my life that no longer serve a purpose doing great jealous i have not done that (laughs) i took a nap today that's great though too Mm -hmm. yeah it does not matter (laughs) everything is dust um (laughs) like what my phone case says it definitely matters but it also definitely doesn't Mm mm-hmm exactly (laughs) yeah should we talk about what you're drinking today caitlin yeah today based on popular culture references um we're gonna talk about the negroni (laughs) (laughs) suddenly the thing you put in our instagram story today makes so much more sense (laughs) yes (laughs) i'm excited so (laughs) Yeah, if you know, you know. If you're, yeah. yeah. If you get it, you get it. Yeah. If you're on queer TikTok, you've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) A thousand percent. Um, We will get to that. But okay, so for the history, as always, you know, there's just so many, so many ways that this drink could have come about. We love this about cocktails, truly. <laughs> um, oh, really quick, my sources were Wikipedia and cocktailsforyou.net. Wow. That also well like a little so bit of official. like insider.com and um NPR. Um okay. So Conte Camilo or Camillo Negroni. Great. Is it starting off strong? If it's if it's Italian, it's probably Camilo. It's Camilo. Okay. He's Italian. Okay. Yeah. Um, he arrived in the U.S. in 1892. I do have a picture on the drive. It is the first picture. Um, it's unclear if he was actually a count, and the question of his occupation remains a widespread debate amongst bartenders. <laughs> Love that. Um, according to bartender lore, he was either a banker, a cowboy, or a gambler. Um, <laughs> cocktails Why for not you. All three. <laughs> who knows? Cocktails for you said specifically a pro- prolific um riverboat gambler so good for him uh he was a very busy man (laughs) dude this this guy is swanky man yeah Yeah. look at that hat and the mustache (laughs) as always the picture will be on the website so you could check it out there um so he was so busy in fact that he claimed to have created the very first negroni which you would think fits like that's his last name right 
Yeah, sure. So while imbibing at the Cafe Cassoni, the Count asked his bartender uh, by the name of Fosco Scarcelli to add a little bit of strength to his favorite drink, which was the Americano. The Americano is typically made with equal parts Campari and sweet vermouth and then a splash of soda or like soda water. But Negroni suggested replacing the soda with gin. The result was a treat and it kind of took off from there. Or did it? That's so many things. (laughs) Yeah. And this is also claimed in that this happened in 1919. So that's something to keep in mind a little bit Mm -hmm. as we go on. Um, and they, yeah, supposedly had celebrated the like 100 year anniversary in 2019 of the Negroni at where the Cafe Cassoni used to exist. It's a, it's like something different now, but they have a plaque up and everything. Dedication. But we don't even know that that's right. <laughs> Recently, <laughs> members of the Negroni family have come to put a kibosh on the story they've stated that there was never a conte camilo negroni in the family tree so who was this guy in the picture first of all if he didn't exist as camilo negroni he was a man of his own means probably i guess he just like invented a story for himself like in the count of monte cristo like just like makes up a fucking title what if he was like participating in a really long drawn out revenge plot maybe and it was against the negroni family so passed down like generation to generation yeah wait but then he did something in favor of them because he just made their name like more popular i don't know i'm just making this shit up as i go oh no i know apparently he was too (laughs) so so who made the negroni you have asked who made the negroni caitlin Still don't have an answer, but <laughs> it's most likely that General Pascal Olivier de Negroni de Cardi was the true inventor. That's okay. the second picture that I have on the drive. That's too many names. <laughs> he also lived a pretty fascinating life. Okay. Wow. The fucking. What's the. The, the beard? Yeah, I don't know if that. I feel like it has a more specific goatee situation. Yeah, that could probably be called a goatee. Very skinny beard. What skinny yeah, long man. beard? Quite it's the, a, it's quite a, the mustache. It's, it's a move. Whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> so, when he was eighteen, Pascal joined the French army. At 41, he led the charge at the Battle of Worth, which earned him an, an award as an officer of the Legion of Honor. A few months later, he became a prisoner of war in the Franco-Prussian War. Prussian? After, yes. After his rescue in 1844, he was promoted to Brigadier General, Ooh. followed by another promotion to Commander of the Legion of Honor in um, 1889. This guy means <laughs> business. Yeah, he retired in um, 1891, and he lived for another 22 years, dying at the age of 84 in 1913. Wow. Um, I'm sure you're curious what this has, what this man has to do with Negroni. <laughs> Desperately curious, <laughs> other than his last name. I don't know why I included that in my notes. Like I could have just kept talking, <laughs> <laughs> but it's literally typed in there. <laughs> 
incredible. So I just felt like I needed to say it. Um, I love that. So Pascal was posted in Senegal prior to his service in the Franco-Prussian War. During his time there, he had written a letter to his older brother talking about a cocktail that he had invented at like a local like bar establishment. Mm-hmm. He told his brother that it was a hit. And although that's not much to go on, like him saying that he did it, mm-hmm. pharmacists and barmaids in the area often talked about a French army captain who had created a drink with his wife to celebrate their love. The result of which was the delicious vermouth-based cocktail, the Negroni. Oh, that's so precious. Yeah. However, both stories do have their faults. Yeah. <laughs> if Pascal had created it, it would have been hard to do during his time in Senegal, as Campari hadn't been invented until like midway through his post there. I think he was there from like 50, 1850 to 1865 or something like that. Sure. Um. He he didn't have one of the main ingredients that are in the drink or sure. didn't for a while. So it's hard to say if he actually did invent the, the Negroni specifically. Yeah. Um, but if the Count had created the drink, like, well, why are there no records of him <laughs> Good in the Negroni family tree? Valid <laughs> question. Did he have a different name? Did he even exist? There is that picture of that guy, but is that somebody else? Is it just a fabrication of our collective imagination? I don't know. And it's it's interesting, too, because, I mean, not only is the history around this a little bit muddled, but, like, every source that I looked at, even when I was trying to, like, check sources amongst other ones, some of them had used the picture of General Pascal for Count Camilo Negroni, like, <laughs> saying that they were one and the same, but they're not. Classic. So, it's fascinating. This is so this is one of the most amazing parts of like studying history to me is that like we were like, really terrible about writing things down and keeping yeah. records. Well, and it's not <laughs> yeah, it's not even just that. It's like at no point, I mean, maybe we're a little bit closer to the mark now, but like at no point in our collective human history has there been like a an easy way to like be like yes this is what happened a hundred years ago (laughs) like right like we just we have this fascination as a species of like looking to the past and being like what happened and like wanting to know more but then how do we learn all of that stuff how do we discover it that's a big thing with archaeology is like um just the sheer like loss of information i guess is what mm-hmm. i'm trying to get at mm-hmm. and so you're just trying to like figure it out from a today perspective when this was a hundred or two hundred or a thousand years ago and you're just trying to fill in the blanks and be like what the fuck yeah um it's you know it's really enjoyable for me so thank you for it's a wild wild world that's a bunch <laughs> Uh, so we'll fast forward a little bit. We do know that it was created by 1919. Mm-hmm. There's like records of it following that time. Um, but then we'll fast forward to like the 1950s, sort of kickstarting America's craze for the Negroni. Orson Welles famously said, The bitters are excellent for your liver, the gin is bad for you. They balance each other. 
<laughs> okay, Orson Welles. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like something an alcoholic would say. Oh yeah, or anyone trying to rationalize how do anything. I, yeah, how do I justify the fact that I'm just like <laughs> taking in bad substances? Uh, yesterday I went to the like supermarket or like the convenience store, I guess rather, mm-hmm. um, down the store or down the street. God, it's it's like I'm drunk, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> and but, you've been trying to figure out how to people again since Wednesday it's okay <laughs> it's true I don't have a lot of like oomph in me um it's fine so I went to the convenience store and I got hot tamales and wily wallabies licorice because they're both zero fat and like fat is the thing that triggers a gallbladder attack so i've just been like stressing out about what i can and cannot eat so hard so i was like you know what i just want munchies and these things say zero fat i'm gonna eat them and i ran into a friend i was just going back to earlier when i was like oh those dang gallbladders just run around attacking people because i just like pictured you like being in this store and grabbing a candy that does have fat and a gallbladder <laughs> just like running in with a knife just like <laughs> that's what triggers a gallbladder attack oh my god yeah okay, that's sorry. it seriously <laughs> <laughs> just, just picturing just a, okay, a gallbladder grew an arm and a leg so it's just running around murdering people uh don't yeah. eat fat <laughs> just like uh yeah fat shaming in the extreme i guess oh my god uh, <laughs> the vigilante nobody asked for Um, (laughs) um, super villain so i walk out of the store with my super unhealthy snacks and a gatorade it should be mentioned (laughs) Um, (laughs) okay but like i'm i've been taking hydrocodone so i have to like stay hydrated yes so gatorade no it's okay Um, you don't have to justify why you got gatorade Thank you. I was just making um, a joke. <laughs> what? A joke on this podcast? <laughs> How dare. Oh. Uh, and I bumped into a friend and he knew that I w- had been to the ER. So he was like, how are you doing? And I was like, good. I'm just like getting some snacks. And he looks at my snacks and he's like, you don't need those. And I was like, yeah, I do. And he goes, no, they're so unhealthy. And I was like, I ate strawberries earlier. Okay. <laughs> Balance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so relatable concept for mr wells over here exactly that is <laughs> yes yes also the gatorade to counteract your hydrocodone that's just it's not the healthiest thing but it's also not the unhealthiest no thing. it's it's perfect get those electrolytes babe i'm yeah. just like i'm just like yeah, it's all about the balance it's like yeah <laughs> taking drugs so i'm gonna drink gatorade <laughs> Yep. I eat strawberries, so I'm gonna eat some shitty snacks. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I like so here's the thing. I live in a headspace of like I just like to eat food that I enjoy. I yep. really hate the concept of being like, oh, I shouldn't eat that. It's not healthy. Like I I just wanna like live a happy life. And to me, part of that, a big part of that is eating food that makes me happy. Yeah. I've never really had to think super hard about what's in my food 
So this this like last week has just really been stressing me out. Right. Time. <laughs> We're both very much people who are about experiences. Yeah. Like I spend my money on experiences. I spend my money on um, taking myself out to eat, on going out with friends, like traveling, mm-hmm. like whatever. I'm very like I don't need things to be like, oh, look at like the stuff that I spent money on. Right. It's like yeah. I yeah. And I mean, I totally understand that there are people who are opposite of that who would rather like I spend my money on things that um, are like a value to me that yeah. I like put in my home or it is your home or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's like when you go your whole life being like, I'm just going to let myself take in what I enjoy. And right. then you have to literally like look at what doesn't have fat in it to make sure that you don't have another you don't have another gallbladder attack you out of nowhere mm-hmm. <laughs> hard yeah it's so hard those dang Man. gallbladders God. just running around someone's gonna do something about that <laughs> i um i was talking to a, <laughs> a co-worker who said that their surgeon said that they think gallbladders were invented just to keep people like him in a job because mm. it's so common to have to remove them. Yep. So, fortunately, it is a thing that you don't need. So, yeah. Yep. I already don't have my appendix. So, like, let's just keep <laughs> getting rid of the dead weight. Just cut that shit. Thick. <laughs> you okay? What's next? A hysterectomy? <laughs> Yes, actually, probably. <laughs> go, just get it all out. I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. It's doing nothing for me. It's not <laughs> serving me at this stage. So. Oh my God. <laughs> Peace out. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting hot. <laughs> Are you having a hot flash? Yeah, Did I you get so. rid of your uterus? Oh, no, I need to. Get it out. Dead <laughs> weight. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> Good plan. Um, so in 2013, um, Campari and Imbibe magazine took advantage of America's lust for the Negroni and started Negroni Week, which usually happens like in the fall, where bars across the country are encouraged to donate a portion of Negroni proceeds to a charity. Um, I think sometimes they have like celebrity charities, as in like they choose a few charities that they like recommend to donate to. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as you're like just donating proceeds to a charity, it's just like, hey, just be a part of Negroni Week. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, it is definitely making a name for itself now. Oh, yeah. Like we talked about at the top <laughs> of the episode. Um, after that behind the scenes interview between Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy, when Darcy says that. Their drink of choice is a Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco in it. That's so specific. Um, yeah. So, fun fact, when Darcy says um, with Prosecco in it, they're just explaining what Spagliato means. So, mm. and we will get to that um, okay. in a little while because there's a bunch of variants on this cocktail. Um, but first, we're going to talk about some pairings. Pairings. <laughs> oh, no. It's great. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. I'm trying really hard to just not say I don't know afterwards, as I've yeah. said many times already. So it's I fine. Just kind of we'll get there. Up. Episode 100, you will just be doing a new ditty every time I say pairings, and then that's just it'll be cool. great. One day we'll do a supercut. Great, I can't wait. Yeah. Um. So it is considered an aperitif and is quite bitter. So pairings aren't like sparse, but they aren't particularly talked about. Mostly it's just like enjoy it with your appetizers like charcuterie or like anything that's wrapped in bacon. Definitely think like salty foods. I'm going to go on to talk about a lot of fat, Mari. (laughs) So sorry. I'm having a lot of um, thoughts. Don't worry. At least for Thanksgiving, you'll be able to eat whatever you want. True. I am having surgery the day before Thanksgiving. So at that point, I will be able to eat whatever I please. Yes. So when that comes, you can enjoy uh, a Negroni <laughs> with mature cheeses like Parmesan or blue cheese. Love. Bacon mac and cheese, grilled <sighs> steak, prosciutto, um, but also things like olives and dates. So. I can eat those. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So there are still options. Good. Good. Um. So how it's made is it's equal parts London dry gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. You basically pour them over ice and stir and then strain them into a rocks glass, preferably over a chunk of ice. Um, You can also have it neat if you choose. Um, And then just garnish with an orange slice or um, an orange peel. Mm -hmm. They're quite tasty. I do like Negronis. Very tasty. So good. Not at all what you would think it would taste like, but like still good. I will confess that I did not make myself one today because I was, after we had all run all of our errands and I forgot to go and get the stuff I needed, I was too lazy to go and get the stuff I needed. Mm, Fair. So I will be making them eventually, just not today. That's fair. But I have had a Negroni and they are so good. Definitely great as an aperitif. Ghosts, you're being haunted. Hotrona was turning on the garbage disposal, and I guess it needs it so much power that it flickered the lights in the basement. Uh, no, it's ghosts. Oh, okay. It's Why ghosts. would you provide a rational explanation when you have the opportunity to say it's ghosts? Mostly because I wasn't annoyed at the lights flickering. I was annoyed that he's using the garbage disposal while I'm trying to record. <laughs> Could you hear it? No. Okay, so Zoom Zoom is doing its work. Yeah, it really is. Great. Okay, so to end my segment, I'm going to talk about the different variations of the Negroni. So as I said earlier, it comes from the Americano, or could possibly come from the Americano, which is um, equal parts Campari and sweet red vermouth with a splash of soda. Okay. Um, the Boulevardier uh, uses whiskey in place of gin. Mm-hmm. So that does also sound really good, but oh, yeah. also like kind of curious because like, I mean, like you said, the Negroni doesn't taste anything like you'd expect it to. So I feel like I should trust it. And I have had Boulevardiers, but which are great, but it just, it just feels weird when I really think about it. <laughs> like, a, like whiskey with Campari and vermouth just feels really weird. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, the cardinal uses dry vermouth in place of sweet vermouth, which I hate dry vermouth, so I don't know that I could get behind that. But if you are into it, then go you. I'd probably try it if I was like at a bar where they use vermouth regularly and they know what they're doing with it. Yeah, but making vermouth it at home, like, I feel like I would like look. Vermouth is a slippery slope, man. Um yeah. Yeah, We talked about it before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you always say you'll try anything once, right? So yeah. I bet you would try it, but I don't know that you would like it. Right. So that's that. Yeah. Um, so the Negroni Spagliato, um, which like I said, they're explaining it. So Spagliato means mistaken or wrong. Um, I think like the brief history behind that was that a bartender in Milan accidentally used um prosecco instead of gin oh weird um so that's why they literally named it wrong the wrong negroni (laughs) the wrong negroni (laughs) um so you can use prosecco or just like a sparkling white wine in general in place of the gin Hmm. um a negro scone is a new hampshire drink that uses traditional scandinavian aquavit instead of gin Love that. Um, which I would totally try because I love Akavit. Yeah, we've we've raved about Akavit on this episode before. Yes. Um, Old Pal uses dry vermouth and Canadian rye whiskey. So in that instance, I could see the dry vermouth working because rye has a very distinct flavor. So I could see those working really well together. And then like the bitter Campari on top. I could see that yeah. making sense. Feels weird. I just but love I that it's it. called Old Pal. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I included it. There were a few that I didn't include in these variations that I saw on um, Wikipedia because I was just like, eh. But that one I kind of had to just because of the name. Yeah. It seems very Canadian. Just like Old Pal. Yep. <laughs> um, a Queen's Negroni is a British variant that replaces the Campari with Pims. Okay. I had to look it up because I know that I've heard of it, but I forgot what it was. But Pim's is a um, gin-based, like, fruit cup, like, pre-mixed liqueur. Mm-hmm. For anyone who doesn't know. Um, the Eggvoni or Tegroni uses tequila in place of gin. Which, again, just feels so weird. But, like, I really do bet it works. I bet it works. I mean, even if it doesn't, after one, it doesn't fucking matter, right? It's tequila. It's tequila. Man, people who just like... I I think that I trust people who like or who prefer tequila, like, way more than I should. Or like, no. (laughs) How am I trying to put this? Like... So, you know, like people are like, oh, I'm a I'm a whiskey girl or like, oh, I'm a I'm a gin guy, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But people who are like, oh, my drink of choice is tequila. I'm just like, wow, you you must be like so loyal. You must be <laughs> like uh, my first thought is, are you OK? Great to party with. Also, yes. Are you OK? Like I just checking in. You like good. There's like a little bit of yeah, there's like a little bit of like manic energy and not oh. like in a bad way. It's just like oh, for sure manic energy. Um yeah. 
they are wild people. I bet Manic Pixie Dream Girls drink tequila. Yes, definitely. And like, good for you. I know that tequila has so much nuance, and I have yet to get into that that um, part of the liquor world. But like, damn, people who yeah, like man. prefer tequila, good for bold. you. It's a bold good choice. For you. Okay. <laughs> On that note, last one is the white Negroni. It is gin, Lillet Blanc, and Suze, which is an aperitif made with gentian. Interesting. Which is a plant. It's like a really pretty blue flower. Ooh. I so, bet that makes a very beautiful cocktail. I don't think that Suze is um, colored. Wait. So, no. They missed opportunity. Honestly. Yeah. Well, speaking of color, though, I've yet to try that Empress Gin. Oh, it like keeps so popping good. up everywhere, and oh, it's yeah. so fucking pretty. Looks gorgeous. Yeah. So that'll probably be coming up somewhere because I cannot seem to get away from it. It is in all of my sponsored ads all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> there's also a tequila that like changes blue or purple or something when you add something to it. I recently found. Googling it. Okay. Uh, the first thing that comes up is a recipe for a magical color changing margarita. Does it have the tequila in it? Uh... Here it is the butterfly cannon blue. So I assume it's probably made with butterfly tea and it's blue. Butterfly PT, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then when you like add um, acid to it, then it turns purple. Magical. So, or maybe it's clear and then it turns purple. I don't remember. But no, I think it's blue and then it turns purple. Whatever. Anyways, so that's that tequila. <laughs> yes. It's, and then yeah. Empress Gin is like, yeah, it turns blue or it is blue or something. So very cool things happening in the liquor world, lady, I guess. Top hat provisions, unsweetened blue butterfly pea flower concentrate. Nope, that's mm-hmm. not tequila. No. What the frick? The butterfly cannon? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Gorgeous bottle also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, bold of them to make the label like monarch butterfly-esque when there aren't butterflies in the actual drink. Just saying. Well, everyone needs a mascot. (laughs) Okay, fair. But like, (laughs) misguided, I think. Because now I'm going to assume there are butterflies in that tequila. I wouldn't. But okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, one of us is rational and normal and the other one is not i will leave it to the listeners to decide which well i'm i'm not taking hydrocodone for pain so (laughs) i actually haven't taken any since last night oh good well i suppose you have been like keeping track of your your diet so yeah that's helping the pain (laughs) i also didn't want to drink and take hydrocodone at the same time that's also also really really good idea I I came into this episode fully expecting you to be on pain meds and not drink at all. So then when you did, I assumed you hadn't taken anything. But I was like, damn, yeah. all right. 
Listen, you know, I am at home, so I could do Don't whatever I want, theoretically, but I'm not. Alcohol. I'm not. As a PSA for our listeners. I am not saying I would let's do that. Let's take an ad break before we say more. <laughs> <laughs> like, just let's just let's go to break. And we're back. All right. Uh, oh god i get the shot out of the way same cheers cheers Ugh. Ugh. no thank you i was mad at jordan for using the garbage disposal while you're recording but he cleaned up the fridge and is making dinner so i'm not mad anymore Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, oh, I keep forgetting to tell you, by the way. Um, have listened to the new Taylor Swift album. Yeah. Am addicted. Yeah. So I guess I really do have to relinquish the personality trait that I have that is just, eh, I don't really care about Taylor Swift. Um, so that's a thing. We all are going to come around someday. Man, I guess. Listen, fucking anti-hero, so good. Yep. Fucking crushed it. Vigilante shit, love it. I went through a Taylor Swift phase the same way that I went through, or like, how I feel and have felt about Taylor Swift is the same way, the same like issue that I had with the color pink. Oh, sure. Used to love it. Then was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be that like girly and feminine. So stripped myself of pink female singers, everything. And then one day was like, fuck all y'all. I'll like whatever I want to like. Man, fuck <laughs> the patriarchy. For real. You want to know who else? All of us. Who? Thanks. Fuck the patriarchy. Who? My topic for today. Yeah. Tell me your story. So I thought uh it would be a good thing to maybe give us like a little like spooky shit palette cleanser i have leaned really hard (laughs) into the creepy stories so today we're gonna talk about not that okay (laughs) and we're gonna talk about anna maria mazzoni um anna maria was is commonly considered to be the founder of the women's movement in italy Hmm. So what a queen! Yeah, I thought I would get back on my strong women bullshit and you know change things up. Here for that, love that. Okay, so Anna Maria was born in uh, on May fifth, eighteen thirty seven, in Milan. Her father was Giuseppe Mazzoni, and he was a physicist and mathematician with a noble family tree. He was very science-minded, very practical. And then there was um, her mom, Delfina Piantanida, who was from an upper-middle-class family as well, but was, like, always, like, really, like, very, like, this is what, you know, the patriarchy's done to women kind of attitude, so... She was raised in, like, a pretty forward-thinking family. Hell yeah. Good. By the time she was five, she began receiving a formal education. 
and uh, she grew up around a lot of works from like the French Enlightenment. So there were a lot of French philosophers. Um, there are also several Italian philosophers' works in her like library at home. So she she got a lot of exposure to like pretty radical thinking from a young age. Cool. Um, her parents were pro risorgimento. Risorgimento, I think is how you say that. Okay. Uh, which means in Italian, rising again, and it was the movement for the unification of Italy. So um, I think we've talked about it before, but just in case, Italy didn't actually become a country until the 20th century. Prior to that, it did have a bit of time as like a kingdom of Italy, but before that, it was just a lot of independent city-states. There wasn't a lot of unification um, in how it operated. So. Um, this would have been at the period where they were fighting for a unified Italy. Um, and there was the kingdom of Italy, but there were also um, during Anna Maria's lifetime, three civil wars in Italy. So a okay. very tumultuous period. Yeah. Um, so she, um, f- for whatever reason, her dad was big into seances when she was a kid. Oh, um, I think it was, from what I could tell, it was driven by, like, this idea of wanting to see if you could get experimental evidence of God, I think, uh, or, like, some sort of, like, actual evidence of a spiritual realm. Okay. Uh, But he did drag his daughter to a lot of this stuff. (laughs) So I just find that really interesting. Great. Um, she grows up, of course, in this atmosphere to be very independent minded. So she's very much so like, no, I will think for myself. Um, I will form my own opinions, things like that. Love. We love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one notable quote from her is that um, is she says, I do not consider myself attached to any sect, any system, any school. I do not believe in the infallibility of the Pope, (gasps) gasp, Uh, but by denying this, I do not replace that of Mazzini or anyone else. Mazzini, by the way, is a predominant Italian philosopher of the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, very like socialist um, in his his thoughts. Um, So she's very like, get out of here. I'm going to form my own opinions, which we love it. We love yeah, it. yeah. Um, Think for yourself. Do it. Yeah. In 1864, so she would have been 27, I think, at this time, uh, she publishes a book um, called The Woman and, Woman and Her Social Relationships on the Occasion of the Revision of the Italian Civil Code. Yes, it really is that long of a title. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's like a full book or maybe like a pamphlet or something. I bet it's a pamphlet. Only a pamphlet would have a name that long. Listen, (laughs) you're not wrong. Mostly images has a name that long, and there's like three sentences. Uh, It's not mostly images, and it probably would have been longer because it was, it had a lot to it. But it was basically a feminist critique of a lot of things in Italy, primarily family law. So. at this point, she hadn't fully committed to supporting the idea of women's suffrage. 
um, which for those who aren't in the know, suffrage means the right to vote. Um, but she, in this in this work, uh, advocates for education, access to professions and employment, and reform to family law. One of the quotes from it, and this is translated, so um, it may not be like exact verbatim what it said in the thing, but anyway. Um, to deny the woman a complete reform in her education, broader boundaries to her education, a job, an existence in the city, a life in the nation, an opinion is just not possible anymore, and interests hostile to this rebirth may be able to delay it with an ungenerous fight, but they will never stop it. So she's very like, this is happening, like it or not. Yeah. Women are going to get rights. Um, As they you know, should. We are obviously. literally people. Literally, actually, human beings with the same exact fucking processing brains. Um, so two years later, in 1866, she publishes A Step Forward in Female Culture, which advocates for a broader number of subjects being taught to girls in school. So her idea there is that you're like raising them as citizens of a modern state is the phrase that she used. So like if you would if you want them to be citizens of the state and like be subject to all that that means like paying taxes and you know things like that why wouldn't you want them to be well educated is her right. her thought process there. Right. Um, in 1869, this, uh, this, like, essay comes out in the UK called The Subjection of Women by John Stuart Mill. And there's a lot of, um, conversation about how much that, the ideas in that pamphlet or essay, um, came from conversations with Mill's wife. Um, but it was a really successful feminist piece either way. And one of the quotes from it is, the legal subordination of one sex to another is wrong in itself and now one of the chief hindrances to human improvement and that it ought to be replaced by a system of perfect equality admitting no power and privilege on the one side nor disability on the other so mm -hmm. fuck yeah mm -hmm. um but she in 1870 translates that into italian so like not only is she really advocating for women's rights in Italy and really aware of what's happening in Italy, but she's also part of this broader global conversation that's happening about yeah. feminism, about women's rights. So she um, has tapped into that as well. So she ends up translating um, Mill's essay into Italian in 1870. Super, super cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, Trying to like broaden that that idea, that ideology yeah absolutely and just like show like that the italians aren't alone in wanting this and the mm -hmm. italians aren't alone in like thinking this way so it just is furthering the point that like on a global scale or at least on like a western europe scale mm -hmm. um like women are advocating for being treated equally mm -hmm. um so that's that's pretty cool um one thing that I find fascinating about her, and I like, I didn't find any record of her being married up until this point. So I think she genuinely like lived her life as a single woman for so long. She didn't get married until 1886, which she was 49 at that point. 
It's like no longer Damn. able to have children. Like not relevant to her life. Uh, she gets yeah. married to this guy named Count Malatesta Kovo Simonai. Um, and he is 10 years younger than she is, which is also not super common for that time period. And I'm over here just like, fucking get it, girl. Like, let's go. Yeah. It's amazing. The epitome of like, do what makes you happy. Yes, honestly. Not what's expected of you. For sure. Sadly, her marriage is not super successful. Wow. Falls apart after seven years. But I I like to imagine that during at least the beginning of that seven years, she was having a real good time. Yeah. Like, can you imagine just like having sex all you want without the concern of getting pregnant? Please and thank you. Well, how old was she? 49. It was super when they got married. Yeah. Super <laughs> unlikely that she would have gotten pregnant or been able to carry a pregnancy to term. Right. Um but maybe maybe she wasn't into that. I don't know. I feel like I'm like putting that on her, but <laughs> either way. No, I was just curious. I was just trying to figure out the math. <laughs> Did you know that anything after like 35 is considered a geriatric pregnancy? Yes. Gross. <laughs> Like, let's find a different word. <laughs> let's literally change the way that we talk about women in a medical sense because it has only ever been horrendous. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Very well said, Caitlin. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's like things like, oh, you're almost 30 and you haven't had kids yet. Your eggs are going to dry up. Like, I'm 30. I'm not. It's fine. It's fine. Um. The doctor, when I was, I had a consult with a surgeon on Friday and the, I don't remember what the context of the conversation was. I was on paid meds at this point, but I remember the doctor saying something about, well, like when you have kids or whatever. And I was like, I'm, I don't want them. I don't want kids. So I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. Actually. <laughs> Because I think he was, like, comparing uh, the pain of having gallstones to the pain of um, he labor. Yes. He was? He was, yes. Um, he, he said that people who've been through labor and through gallstones have a really hard time differentiating between the levels of pain. Okay. So he was talking about that and in the context of that said something about when I have kids and I was like, I don't want them. So I would like to never be in this amount of pain ever again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is all the more solidifying the reason why I don't want children. Yeah. I like power, even, power to you. I couldn't even them, sit in a chair. Like the pain had tr- like pain transference is a real thing mm-hmm. and it was radiating through my whole torso so it felt like my like back was on fire and I couldn't like come into contact I couldn't lay down I couldn't Ugh. sit down nothing it was so bad uh I cried for two hours straight Fair. super sick Fair. so uh, zero out of ten on that yeah. experience and if that's so anything experience close to what that for like is, yeah. hours no because the tiny tiny being inside of your body won't evacuate <laughs> God. Uh, zero out of ten no thank you yeah um, again all the power to you if you want children yeah we both don't i i if that's an experience you're willing to put yourself through 
I respect that. I really do. Yes. I just I I don't want to. Yeah. Um yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Moving on. Again, uh, I spend my money on experiences, not on tiny devils running in my house. <laughs> uh are you sure you have pets? I do have a cat. That's true. <laughs> Just saying. But I didn't have to tell that one to evacuate my body. So. <laughs> True. Didn't have to birth it into this world. So. Or pay the medical costs for it. <laughs> yeah. Barf. Um. Anyways, please continue. Okay. Yeah, we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ana Maria. The tangents. Um, oh, my God. Listen, it's fine. This is not uh, the first time that we've absolutely ranted about children but okay (laughs) if anyone wonders where we stand they haven't been paying enough attention so yeah um (laughs) so uh another really cool thing that Anna maria did was that she actually presented motions to the italian parliament in 1877 and 1906 so like almost 30 years apart for both of them and both of these motions, so like in the U.S. government, think of this as like the equivalent of like putting forward a bill uh, okay. for consideration on the Senate or House floor. Yep. Um, so she did this and uh, both of them would have granted women the right to vote in Italy if they were passed. They weren't. Um, and in 1878, she actually represented Italy at the very first International Congress of Women's Rights in Paris. Not only did she represent Italy, but she gave the opening address. Like, damn. Fuck. Yeah. Like, so cool. This particular Congress, uh, the International Congress of Women's Rights, uh, they selected when they held it very specifically so it was over a two weeks period two week period this conference was and it was actually scheduled at the same time as the international exposition in paris so if you're not familiar with international expositions think of like the the world's fair in chicago okay very similar to that yep um so it, it drew people from all over the globe it was a really big thing and it went on for a while um so it kind of like maximize the opportunity hattie sorry hattie and loki are playing and i look down and loki's just trapped in her mouth like his head is in her mouth and she's just rabbit kicking her head over and over and over again pets man that's what i saw the other day when i was like do i stop stop them yeah they seem he seems very uncomfortable (laughs) but also he's not running away uh, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so the longevity of both the the fair and of the conference allowed for maximum participation. Like more people were able to participate. Um, and a total of 17 countries actually participated. The, um, the conference itself was hosted by six nations. So we're going to play like a little mini guessing game. Okay. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the nation that, like, because there are six of them. I'm going to name each host nation, and then you're going to guess when women got the right to vote in that country. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Um, I'm okay. so bad at history. This is going to go horribly. It's fine. It's going to okay, be. Okay, wait. So to try and help my time frame, the. Because yeah. we're still talking about the um, the expo. Yeah, it was in 1878. Okay. So assumedly they all happened after. Yes. Okay. Okay, I'll do what I can. <laughs> but it is a broad range. I believe of, it. Of of afters. So I believe it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number one, France. Oh, France. I'm gonna go with nineteen thirty-four. Actually not terrible. Um France was in 1944. Okay. Okay. Uh, another note to help you. These all are in the 1900s. I figured. Um, number two, Switzerland. Hmm. It's not going to be as good as you think. No, I know. I think I, I think I kind of know about this. It's not going to help me. Um, I'm going to say 1978. Also not terrible, 1990. <laughs> um, okay. Which I was gobsmacked when I read that. I was like, excuse me? Um, <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Italy. 1948. No. 1925. Oh, dang it. So, I so, almost said something in the 20s, but I was like, that feels too early. Eh, yeah. But with the help of Anna Maria. Yeah, for sure. She definitely expedited that process. Yeah. Um, Holland or the Netherlands. Hmm. 1966. Sorry, you're way off on that one. Nin- <laughs> uh, 1919. Oh, wow. Really early. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Russia. This is... This is going to be the most challenging one, I think. Never? Women still don't have the right to vote? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, um, Shoot. Well... Let's say 1952. 1917. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and the U.S. Oh, I should know this. 1970s? No. I don't remember. 1919. For, oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. Really? <laughs> what mental journey are you going on right now? I'm not going on it with you. <laughs> Nothing. I should know. Okay, so I think the reason that I that I forget the date that like quote women had the right to vote in America was because it wasn't until much later that black women and Native American women had the right to vote. Oh. So yeah. I've just like erased that from my my brain. Oh, absolutely. So that's yeah. entirely a legitimate thought process. <laughs> that's um, the thought process I was going through. It was okay. like, oh yeah, that explains why that was then. Um, oh no, yeah. but that does also make sense because 
uh, that would have happened and then women were primarily voting against or, or like for prohibition yeah so i think part of why they were granted the the right to women white women were granted the right to vote was because yes. they would vote against drinking alcohol classic we love did you know um, that the pers- the first state to pass a prohibition law was Maine? <laughs> I didn't. Yep. <laughs> did I? I probably did. I don't know. Somewhere in my brain. Um, I learned that from the Ken Burns documentary series on prohibition, mm. which is very yes. good. If we yes. haven't talked enough about it on this podcast and you would like to ner- learn more would watch i've been actively avoiding prohibition because i talked about it so much (laughs) so many episodes (laughs) that's fair um okay so the most interesting thing that i wanted to like bring up with all of that was that russia was the first yeah whack whack suffrage to women insane to me and switzerland what the fuck what the fuck that one feels like kind of unsurprising because it's so surprising. Does that make <laughs> okay. sense? No, Does that make sense? But, like, uh... I don't know. I would have expected better from Switzerland. For sure. I also would have. Um, in 1881, so just three years after this, this uh, international conference, uh, Anna Maria founds the League for the Promotion of the Interests of Women, which does exactly what it sounds like. It promotes all of the women's interests in Italy. And um, she just kind of like rides with that for a while, continues on this movement, um, is very, very vocal on the world stage. And then um, on November 16th, 1890, she gives this speech to the Committee for the Propaganda of Women's Rights in Bologna, Italy. Um, the speech is so good. She basically says, like, here's a list of all the reasons why you think that giving women the right to vote would upset the balance. Here is why all of those things are stupid. <laughs> like, um, she gives the list and then she says in the western world women fill the streets and squares they publish books and newspapers they do business they study in high schools and in universities if these things do not distract them from the care of their families voting will distract them even less (laughs) just like true snaps girl like true (laughs) so good um fucking let the people have a voice god damn i know uh unfortunately and for the rest of her life she continues to advocate for the rights of women for voting rights but sadly she doesn't see them come to fruition in italy she passes away in rome on june 14th 1920 just five years before women received the right to vote specifically in local elections Mm -hmm. i'll talk about that in a sec um she was 83 and had been fighting for women's rights virtually all her life. Damn. Uh, what I said about local elections. So in 1925, women could vote in local elections, but they couldn't vote in national or like federal level sure. elections until 1945. There's always a fucking caveat, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> sure, women can vote, but only in this way or only these women. Yeah. Or only, yeah, like, cool. Yeah. 
I, I fucking love the fact that having you uterus has delegated us to like being second class humans for so fucking long. Super cool. Sorry that we literally like make the entire fucking world go around and you can't recognize that. I know, right? Like, sorry, should we just have a strike on giving birth forever? How would you feel about that? Honestly, yes. <laughs> um well not even giving birth just like sex oh god that would break them much faster you're right science has like found ways to have children without without a male so like we literally don't need them literally don't so (laughs) on the next episode we'll talk about caitlin and mari's feminist utopia oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh boy i haven't picked a topic yet so that could work (laughs) yeah Uh, so that's that's the story of anna maria and just like the hard work that she put in to get the women of italy their right to vote and what an absolute babe I just really like her story. It's super unproblematic. Yeah. Uh, just was like, fucking, let's go. Oh, she had a purpose I... and it drove her. Like, Oh, for sure. I forgot to mention my sources, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sources were Italian Wikipedia specifically mm. uh, because the U.S. Wikipedia article is very short. Um, speaking while female which I didn't know was a site, but that's where I got the transcript of her 1890 speech. Okay. Um, this website called We the Italians and a website called Global Fund for Women. Cool. So. Yeah. What an amazing human. Yeah. Just really fighting for fighting the good fight. Absolutely. And I thought it would be like a good, like refreshing, not downer of a story. Palette cleanser. Yeah. A really great aperitif. just like a negroni yeah wow look at that connection i just made (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) love it (sighs) well that was really lovely thank you thank you for talking to us about anna maria yeah and this is just like your friendly neighborhood reminder that feminism exists beyond just the united states and like england i don't know yeah yeah so. literally everywhere and this yeah. is your friendly neighborhood spider-man saying thank you to anna maria for being an absolute queen and fighting for women to have rights in general did you just out yourself as spider-man yeah um real cash <laughs> real cash um and also thank you to whichever count negroni it was that uh created the negroni honestly thank you to both uh, for really great facial hair truly yeah some really great mustaches yeah yeah uh fucking cheers to that dude cheers what a time (laughs) okay bye Alcohol and Anecdotes is hosted, produced, and edited by Caitlin Hedberg and Mari Harlow. Our intro and outro music is courtesy of Vanity Plate of Minot, North Dakota. You can visit alcoholandanecdotes.com to find episode content and merch. You can also email us at alcoholandanecdotes at gmail.com 
or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at Alcohol A&D Anecdotes. You can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, rate, or review our podcast or subscribe to us on Patreon for additional support and to help keep alcohol and anecdotes going. While we joke about alcohol use and mental health issues as a part of our day-to-day, we know that both can be no laughing matter. If you're struggling with substance abuse or a mental health disorder, please call the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP for information on local treatment options, support groups, and community-based organizations. Once again, that's 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. Cheers, nerds.